You're listening to Oh No Lit Class. Dead authors, fresh takes, and the epilogues you never knew you needed. The podcast that knows the book was better than the movie. I'm Megan. I'm RJ. And I'm Monique. Who's Monique? <laughs> yeah, it's just this stranger who came into our home and you're just now noticing her. Yeah. She was hiding in the shadows. Yeah, pretty much under the couch, you know, just chilling. Decided I'd crawl out. <laughs> I thought she was Gregor. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's really mean. That's a terrible thing to say to a person. Particularly since I was, like, the original cockroach killer, so... That's true. Monique is a fellow literary masochist and also former roommate. Hello. And she did kill all the roaches back when we lived together, because I'm a weenie. And I love killing things, so sometimes. <laughs> Just cockroaches, to clarify. Yes. And Monique loves murder. <laughs> And so Monique is here with us today because she wants to talk about something that she is deeply passionate about. Yes, Jane Austen's one and only Pride and Prejudice. This, this is the one with the zombies. No, no, this no. This, this is the first one, Sans Zombies. With Abraham Lincoln? No, no vampires, no Abe Lincoln. This is Re- Regency era England. Okay. You could start by saying what drew you, why you want to be like, I want to come on your show and I want to talk about this old dead British lady. I guess because it was just one of the first novels that I fell in love with. And I was super nervous rereading it because, you know, I'm 10 years older and it's like, oh crap, is this going to be stupid and terrible? And am I like completely (laughs) aged out of what is essentially like, you know, teenage, early 20-something girls talking about boys. It is. It's it's just such a boy drama. I know. But I was delighted to find that it was just as witty and charming and effervescent as ever. Yes. I know. Bust out those words. Because, yeah, the impression that people have of it is it's, it's a... It's a very dry comedy of manners and Britishness, and it's like, no, it's all about a bunch of horny teenage to, like, barely 20 girls and boys who don't know how to fucking talk to each other and just sort of stare lustily. It's so awkward. They like, are. it's just, it's so original awkward, awkward They're so awkward. And it's just hidden behind this sort of idea of, like, just stuffy, upper-class Britishness. But yeah, so before we get into that, let's talk about... Jane Austen, the lady. RJ has just been stunned into silence by just the flow of estrogen. <laughs> it's a little overwhelming. <laughs> My mother always said, if you have nothing nice to add, don't add anything. Just let it happen. Oh, you don't, you don't like this. No, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be pretty good then. It's swell. <laughs> so Jane Austen, born December 16th, 1775. Died July 18th, 1817. There's really actually not a super bunch known about Jane, even though her biographers believe that she wrote over 3,000 letters in her lifetime. 
because only about 150 of them survive. After Jane died, her family, in particular her sister, burned or otherwise destroyed most of Jane's letters. Always, always with always. the burn the letters. Is yeah. it just because there wasn't, I guess it's like if you want to talk to someone now, you can just call them up on the phone, but it's like if you want to have a correspondence, so it's like, oh, she's dead now. We just have these like 50,000 goddamn letters taking up space. Guess we better light them all on fire. Now we could check out their DMs. Anyway. <laughs> but so jane's sister didn't burn the letters because jane asked her to jane's sister kind of took it upon herself um because jane had a potty mouth and liked to say unkind things about family members and friends behind their backs and her sister wanted to protect her in the afterlife of having the shame of all her true thoughts leaking out but despite all that we do know some things about jane thanks to the internet so Jane was born to her dad, George, uh, her mom, Cassandra. Jane was the final of four children. Child one was named George after dad. <laughs> Apparently, child George did not take after dad, George, as he was developmentally disabled. He suffered from seizures and may have been deaf. Not much is known about the child, George, because the Austins pulled the plug on the kid they named after the patriarch and sent him away to be adopted by some other family. Oh, jeez. Baby George, out. That's sucks it's like oh he's, he's deaf he's having seat let's just get rid let's get rid of him let's just, you go out you go live in the country you're gonna go on a farm and he's gonna be so happy uh the next kid was cassandra who was named after mom this kid was healthy so she stuck around there was also francis he wasn't seemingly named for anyone and i don't hold it against him at all after all that jane came on tumbling out also, just to point out that this was uh, not just Jane's parents who struggled with the name thing. Jane had an aunt named Philadelphia and a cousin oh. and a cousin named Philadelphia, probably named after the elder Philadelphia. <laughs> not only was it a bad name the first time, but then they doubled down on it. But hey, I guess they got a sandwich named after them. A big gooey mess of a sandwich. I'm pretty sure the sandwich is named after the city, but yeah, no, sure. I'm sure the Philly cheesesteak is named after Jane Austen's aunt. Hey, <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Yes, you do. <laughs> Look, Philadelphia has a statue to a fake boxer in it. Thing is is that it comes just after that you don't have enough to say about Jane Austen? <laughs> you gotta tear into the town of uh, uh, Philadelphia. You, you brought up the town of Philadelphia. I was saying, moving on. D- you, had, you had to find the hot butter. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was it. Little, little did I know that was the one that was going to get you. Philadelphia, home of the cheesesteak. This, this is what I deal with. This is my nightmare. Know my weird laugh. <laughs> oh, you forgot that. Sorry. <laughs> no laugh is worse than mine, and it's in there always. Anyway, Jane's dad was a rector in the Anglican parish. Her mom was a stay-at-home mom, caring for all the kids except the one that got the boot to the ass. Jane's dad was um, from what had been a wealthy family, but the branch Jane's dad was a part of was a bunch of spendthrifts, so Jane's dad did not get an inheritance. Jane's upbringing was one around books, including her father's own extensive library. She received schooling and had an otherwise unremarkable upbringing. So although Jane Austen, perhaps famously, never got hitched, she did have a few suitors in her time. The most important to her was likely her neighbor, Tom Lafroy. Uh, the two were introduced in a social meeting, and Jane wrote to her sister about Tom, who is Irish, quote, I'm almost afraid to tell you how my Irish friend and I behaved. Imagine to yourself everything most 
profligate and shocking in the way of dancing and sitting down together. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. Sometimes we sat next to each other and our knees brushed. And then her sister was like, oh, Jane, the impropriety. They danced. They danced. They sat. <laughs> what a floozy. A whirlwind torrid affair. A couple of wild kids. I was thinking, like, if I were her sister, there's something between the lines. Like, there no, there's more than knee rubbing in that famous, like, little line. I'm sorry. <laughs> Profligate? What is... Yeah. Profligate. Like, is that what you said? I don't really know what that word means. But... I don't know it either. But I didn't use the word. Jane did. <laughs> okay, <laughs> stop things and look up what the word profligate means because i'm gonna be honest i'm not a hundred percent imagine to yourself everything most profligate i'm right I'm, I'm and totally. shocking yeah, so i'm shocking. assuming it's a synonym for the word shocking i'm using context clues recklessly extravagant or wasteful in the oh no no that's the first definition the second one is a licentious and dissolute person also known as a libertine or oh, debauchee yeah, something else is going on there. Yeah, Sorry. she's saying we were we're demented little sex rabbits. <laughs> it's that Irish blood, <laughs> and those couple of wild kids. Anyway, Jane went on to write to her sister about how hot Tom is, which, because I have access to the internet, I can determine is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> what does he, he look like? Ugly, <laughs> not hot. Um, she also said he was nice and gentlemanly. My internets cannot confirm or deny those points in particular. Oh, it was a lovely name, Lafroy. It just sounds, you know, gallant and romantic. How and... are we spelling this? L-E-F-R-O-Y. Lafroy. Okay. Mm. Yeah, he's not... Let he, me see. He looks like a weird little... Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, God, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, God, no. <laughs> She, she she was doing profligate, what shocking things. What is his hair doing? <laughs> like, it looks like cotton candy, like, in this, like, pale white. Like, how old is he supposed to be there? We invite our listeners to Google Tom LaFroy and uh, oh, no get, get, a, get an eyeful. Get an oh, eyeful. No. It, looks, it, it looks like in, uh, I guess, like, Being Jane or whatever movie version that he's played by James McAvoy. It's an upgrade. That was a generous edit, yes. So, Ugly Tom, (laughs) at some point, made some kind of proposal to Jane, but Jane was pressured by her family to turn the proposal down. You see, Jane's family was struggling financially, and old Ugly Tom was living off his old rich uncle, who probably was ugly too, but old rich uncle was Uncle Moneybags, so he didn't have to worry about having money himself but he cannot support a family he can only support ugly tom so like a true tragedy they broke off their relationship and never saw each other again no other man ever measured up to ugly tom in jane's life (laughs) after jane washed out on her one true love her dad decided to check out on jane rip what the fuck yeah he died okay you you could just say he died yeah well, theatrical. No, you're a lunatic. It happened fairly suddenly, and the family was sent into a financial tailspin. Jane's brother pledged to help care for the family by sending some of that kizash I hear so much about. Like bitcoins? Yes, he sent them bitcoins. Yes, yeah. British coins. The pound, Br- the euro. Bitcoins. <laughs> yeah. 
Jane and her mother bounced around between houses and apartments, unable to stay in a stable household because of the financial situation. Eventually, the brother uh, offered the Austin women a place to settle down in Chawton. It was a large cottage town. The Austins decided to become hermits and never socialized with anyone. The only time they ever entertained was when family visited them. However, it was during this time when Jane actually wrote some of her best-known works, like Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility. Aw, because she was all shut up. She had to invent her own awkward weirdos to hang out with. (laughs) One out of one, Emily Dickinson's approve. Well, at least she didn't have the Emily Dickinson death touch. Uh, So Jane's works were fairly successful as they were published. In fact, the Prince Regent, the guy who would become George IV later on, admired Jane's novels. He kept at least one copy at each of his pads. And as you can imagine, being the Prince Regent and eventual king, dude had a bunch of pads. The prince had his personal librarian. Yes, royalty gets their own personal librarian. He had that guy reach out to Jane and set up a meeting of the two. Jane took up the offer to meet him, even though she uh, not so secretly despised the guy. She found him to be a womanizing brute, drunk, as well as a spendthrift. The two did not hit it off. But also it seems weird that if, if he if he is just like this weird like womanizing party boy, and he's just like, I love these books, though. I love this English romance. He also probably had syphilis, so, you know. Who didn't? Yeah, That's back, true. Yeah, back, back then. then. Yeah, that was a thing to have. But yeah, I don't think he like called her up there to like fuck him. I think it was just he's the he's the prince. He could be, you know, when you could be like a fanboy. You'd be like, I'm going to make my favorite author come here and make her, like, sign my book or whatever. Or tell her, Jane, if you want to publish in the future, I can control all the publishers. Wink, wink. Uh, It's just not good. That (laughs) whole meeting must have been disastrous. Yeah, it was probably very uncomfortable. Yeah, they didn't hit it off, so there you go. Uh, One thing about the Austins you probably don't know, particularly Jane, is that she despised hypochondriacs. She thought everyone was weak when it came to illness and needed to toughen the shit up. Whoa. What are we basing this on? That her orders were like people would be like sick and she'd be like, fuck that noise. Toughen the shit up. <laughs> you got a cold? Too bad. Oh, you got a disease? Fuck that. You be got tough. syphilis? Who doesn't? <laughs> so I mentioned this because this would not, uh, this attitude would not serve her well. In 1816, at the age of 41, Jane herself developed some sort of disease. Either it was Addison's disease, which is an endocrine uh, disease in which the body does not create enough steroid hormones, which leads to general malaise and weakness and low blood pressure, or she developed Hodgkin's lymphoma. What we do know is that she became bedridden, um, but she did continue to write saying things like, rest is for the weak, and it's just, just a flesh wound. Wait, was that, would, you, would you just try to cram a Monty Python reference in there? If you ain't dying, you ain't trying. <laughs> Quotes from Jane Austen. <laughs> she refused most help and continued to worsen. Like, she was, like, on the couch, like, for weeks on end and was like, no, no, it's not a big deal. I'm doing fine. Don't worry about it. Because she thought she would just outthink the disease. Well, did, no one knew what the fuck. I, like, if she had Hodgkin's lymphoma, no one was going to come up there and be like, oh, yes, of course, here's the problem. No, no, but like, she wouldn't let the doctors look at her. Like, well, the doctors were also kind of creeps, you know, at that time, a little bit. Like, there's this whole thing about, like, the 
fetching the doctor. Oh no, get the local apothecary and deal with that. This boy preferable, and I don't know. So she refused help, kept on trying to write, had people kind of usher her around the house. And a few months later, eventually, she died. By the time she died, she was actually welcoming death because the pain had become so agonizing. Oh, God. YOLO, swag, 420, You are Jane. such a dick. Why, and, why, why you got to bag on Jane Austen so much? I, in many ways, I think Jane would admire that description of her life. <laughs> yo, she'll, she'll come at yo, it yo, just yo, as yo, bad. swag, 420. <laughs> She could come strong. It's like, really? You really think you got it? Mm, try again. That's true. She probably would be able she to would tear shut you, up. you yeah. down. Oh, she can't. She's dead. Oh, here's the thing. All right. Yeah, here's the thing. Here's the thing. thing. Here's my problem with Jane, all right? All right. One, I mean, the hypochondriac thing aside, and then her just like trying to outthink disease. That she had to... You do that, though. You're like, oh, I'll feel good. I got a headache. And I said, go take a towel. And you go, No. Oh, I don't feel good. I think I might be getting sick. Oh, are you going to chill out? No, I'm going to go play a hockey game. So you know what? You and Jane, kind of similar. I wasn't struggling with Hodgkin's <laughs> lymphoma, okay? <laughs> I think at some point I would see a doctor for that. At least before the point where I was telling people, oh, no, it's going to be okay that I'm dying because the pain has become a little too much for me. I think I would seek out help a little bit before you that. Might, you might take a time at all. But aside from that, the, this whole writing three thousand letters, bad mouthing everyone around her behind her back—that's weak sauce. See, she could have said that to their faces. No, because everybody lived like a fucking hundred miles apart. If you wanted to like shit talk someone, you had to do it in a letter, or you had to like take two weeks to go to their house and do it. In many ways, maybe her novels are like that. They're just kind of like passive aggressive text messages because they don't want to talk in person. I mean, yeah, why not? Is there <laughs> other things that you would like to say about Jane Austen's life before we yeah. get into the actual uh, book? There was a brief engagement that she had with this younger guy, Harris Biggs Wither. That's, really fancy That's a hell of a name. Yeah. yeah that was he hot? Is Thomas? Well, he was kind of a kid. You know, he was like a couple years younger than her. And she said yes. And I guess she had time to think about it. And she's like, oh, fuck no, actually, I can't do it. And despite her family... That could do very well with his money because he was also rather well off. She was like, mm, rather not. And also, especially to note, there have been family m- rumors throughout the centuries that she had a mysterious seaside romance with a certain gentleman. Perhaps a captain, a seafarer, was in the Napoleonic Wars. There are lots of very dashing redcoats about. So it's very, it's very sexy. I know. That's also the appeal. Like the the red coats make a huge prominent play in this book. It's it's true. They they're they're yeah. super into how hot the soldiers are. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I was gonna go post colonial there, but then maybe not. We could. We we could absolutely uh, go post colonial. <laughs> we can go post colonial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they also wore the same stupid uniforms everywhere, including the Caribbean, and when they were fighting, you know, slave revolts and all that stuff, they would wear those pretty beautiful red coats in the middle of the forest, and a lot of them died. Oh, well, we saw how well that worked out for them stateside as well. <laughs> True. Exactly, yes. Guess that's why that died out. Yeah, prob- yeah. probably. Good idea. <laughs> 
After her death, uh, Jane Austen's books, many of them fell out of print. There was a resurgence of interest in her books after her nephew, James Edward Austen Lee, published his very idyllic memoir of Jane Austen in 1869. And she was portrayed as just this picture of contentment and politeness and modesty, uh, quietly sneaking away to her little corner in, in the drawing room where she could write and shuffling her papers away quickly. So no one could catch her um, writing, God forbid. Oh, so. <laughs> so this this does not sound like the woman we were just describing at all. No, but the, at this time it's the Victorians, right? We moved away from mm. the Regency. The Victorians just ate up that image oh, yeah. of, of Jane Austen as this genteel aunt who, you know, didn't care about money and, and stuffed her writings away. And no, I don't write. What are you talking about? That's ridiculous. Yeah. If only they'd known about her profligating with ugly Tom. <laughs> Sitting. He said dancing. Dancing. I actually um, Go went on. on like a Jane Austen kind of like thing in Bath. That was one of the places that she ended up in, in um, like popping from house to house. The rooms that they talk about, obviously these houses, they don't have bathrooms in the traditional sense or toilets. So there was, we, they took us into this drawing room they opened up like a secret panel in the wall and said, yeah, that's where the the pot would go, where like you would quietly excuse yourself and then like take the bowl out of the wall and just pee in there. They had, like, they had a secret they had, hidden poop. They had a poop <laughs> And I'm just like, I just like, what, do you put it back? Like, just, you know, like, you hope no one will come into the drawing room as you're doing this. Like, how does this physically work? Oh, oh, okay. Like, so wait, it was just the bowl of yeah, stuff like, was in the wall, but you had to, like, pull it out and just, like, go in the room? Yeah, like a chamber. So you had pot. to, like, like maybe everybody... Maybe they would go every... to, like, another room. Or maybe, like, I don't know how it was, but why is this. there a panel in the drawing room with, like, a piss pot? I don't understand. Everybody get out so... of the room. I need to do, do a thing. <laughs> So whenever you picture like these elegant drawing rooms at Pemberley, like just think of the piss pot. <laughs> There's a pot the piss in behind the wall. That's amazing. Oh lordy. I don't know where we can go from there. So I guess we could just start talking about the book. Cause I don't think we're gonna do better than that. Mm-hmm. Let's get into Pride and Prejudice, the book itself. So the novel's opening line is pretty famous, fairly well known. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Well, I don't know why he must be in want of a wife. Maybe he wants to work his way up to that. Maybe he's in want of a girlfriend first or... A boyfriend? Or a boyfriend. Yeah, I know. I, Jane, you know what? No! Stop! You cut off my fucking joke. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Maybe he just wants a dog, or a potted plant, or a, cock or in a, his Ninten- mouth. Or a Nintendo Switch, <laughs> or maybe he wants a husband. So don't be so fucking heteronormative, Jane. Yeah, that's right. That was my joke before you just like put your mouth all over the fucking microphone, like it can't pick you up from there. Just just tongue this expensive piece of equipment. <laughs> so there's this dude named Mister Mister Bing Bingley. 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 That's like God. a guess as any. It's, it's a hard just, name, yeah. yeah. it's not good. For short, I call him Mr. Big. Uh, Mr. Bingley's just moved into the neighborhood, and he is that single man in possess... 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 Edition. 
He's got he's got money. He's got that good fortune. So Mrs. Bennett, who has five shamefully unwedded daughters, badgers her husband to go be his friend in the hopes that he can take at least one of these daughters off her hands. And hey, who knows? Maybe more. Maybe he's a single man in possession of a good fortune in want of several wives. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, the process of Mr. Bennett befriending Mr. Bingley is full of that weird English frippery where there is a way of doing things. Where, you know, stuff like when you schedule a tea and what you serve at the tea determines the very course of the universe. So long story short, we eventually learn that Mr. Bingley seems like a pretty chill dude. It's also easy on the eyes. And all of the Bennett girls, uh, Elizabeth, Jane, Mary, Kitty, Lydia, Cupid, Donner, (laughs) (laughs) So they're all pretty into this hot, rich, single dude. And they basically lose their goddamn minds when they find out that not only is he going to be at the town dance, because the world was hard times before the internet. (laughs) This is what we had going on. Got the town dance. Uh, But yeah, he's going to the dance and he's bringing friends. Maybe even handsome friends. With good fortune. Yes. Yeah. No. (laughs) Two are his sisters. And they're kind of bitchy. (laughs) And another is some guy that we don't care about and never hear from again, so I'm not even saying his name. And the fourth is a dude named Mr. Darcy, who's extremely cute and, more importantly, just obscenely rich and, even more importantly, also single. So what's the catch here? Why is this man still single? No, Does he do want a woman? Does he want a switch? Does he want a man? Maybe he just wants to adopt some children, like a sim. See, maybe he just wants like a little sim family, like him and five kids, and he sends them off. And he, he hoards the like simillions himself. He wants to just play the sims on the computer. <laughs> no, no, he is the sim. He is the sim. He is that the was sim. a leap in logic. I was ready to go. You were, you were so ready to talk about oh. the sims. <laughs> about what he wants. <laughs> I always picture, like, um, thinking of the Sims, like little bubbles floating over all the men's heads with their so many 10,000 pounds a year, 5,000 pounds a year. <laughs> Almost every single man has, like, a money bubble floating over his head it's in the book. true. Just like, a, do- a dollar <laughs> sign. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone knows. Accurate. Like, how do you know, like, the man's, like, financial earnings? That is just so... <laughs> Yeah. There's okay. Mr. 5,000 pounds yeah. a year. There's Mr. 100,000. <laughs> but the reason we find out that Darcy is still single is that he's kind of a big old jackass. He is the, he's the fun police. He's that guy who thinks he's too cool for this stupid party, but instead of leaving said stupid party, he'll hang around in the corner loudly telling everyone how he's too cool for this stupid party. So, you know, he's just he's a real good time. Darling. <laughs> Darling Darcy. Yes. And uh, Bingley's like, like, dude, come on, loosen up, dance, do whatever it is old-timey, high-society English people do to have fun. Except I'm pretty sure, like, pouting with barely restrained disapproval is exactly what old-timey, high-society English people did for fun. <laughs> Maybe not till the Victorian era. Maybe the Regency, they might have still cut loose. At least they still dance. They did. You know? They still yeah, dance. They hop around. Yeah. And they danced. So Bingley's like, hey, why don't you dance with the book's protagonist? Elizabeth Bennet. And Darcy's like, eh, she's okay. Like, she's like a five, maybe. Elizabeth thinks that's pretty, like, fucking hilarious coming from him and just goes off to, like, have a good time. She's just like, yeah, really? Okay. (laughs) See ya, champ. And afterwards, everyone agrees on two things. One, this was a pretty good town dance. And two, Mr. Darcy's an ass bag. 
Now, how much sitting was happening at this dance? Well, Darcy's case, quite a bit, because mm-hmm. he just was not moving or dancing with anyone. More like standing in the corner. And That's true. He probably running. wasn't sitting. Yeah. We learned through twin conversations, one between Jane and Elizabeth and the other between Bingley and Darcy, that Jane and Bingley are both into each other, and Jane is invited to lunch at Bingley's house. Not with Mr. B, of course, because that would be frightfully improprietous. No, of course. God forbid. Instead, she's having lunch with his two sisters, Caroline and not Caroline. (laughs) Mrs. Something. (laughs) Mrs. Something or other. (laughs) Caroline wants in Darcy's pants very badly and will destroy anyone that she thinks is in the way of said pants. I guess she also wants the money that's in the pants. Yeah, that too. Why not? Uh, This is mostly her defining character trait, but we'll build more on that later. Mrs. Bennet is all like, hey, Jane, you should skip the carriage and just ride on horseback there, all sexy-like. <sighs> because if it rains, then you have an excuse to spend the night. Wink. <laughs> and it does rain, because Mrs. Bennet is a witch, I guess. <laughs> and Jane gets caught in it and drenched, and she actually gets sick. Or it's England and it's always raining. Like, seriously. That's true. I, yeah. I guess it's like a fair assumption <laughs> it's gonna rain. It's gonna rain. It's gonna rain. Um... Uh, and so, yeah, Jane gets sick, but so she's definitely staying the night, so mission accomplished, mm-hmm. I guess. And so Lizzie gets, like, worried about her, and she walks all the way to the Bingley household in the rain to check on Jane. But so that that is just weird to me, because I guess she's just immune to rain, or, like, Jane's, like, a big fucking weenie, because Elizabeth walked there. She walked there in the rain, and she's fine. In fact, she's better than fine, apparently. Because Darcy's there, and he sees her, and I guess he's kind of into that drowned rat look, because suddenly Lizzie shoots from, like, a five to, like, an eight, maybe even, like, an eight and a half. Very fine eyes. Yes. So up. Yep, that's what he did. He looked her and went, so So up. (laughs) You thirsty? Gross. It's kind of raining. (laughs) Can't drink that. All right. You want a nice tall glass of water? Sit around. Have a good Darcy. (laughs) (laughs) Caroline and not Caroline put on a big show of asking Elizabeth to stay the night as well, and then are all like catty and bitchy behind her back, talking shit about how she walked there just to check on her sister, and by her sister they mean Mister Darcy's. Dick. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, and also her family is poor and horror of horrors. Her petticoat was dirty when she came in because she walked there in the rain. And what the fuck is their problem? Yeah, her that's the one thing I would like totally. Petticoat. Yes, Lizzie was totally off on that. Why are you shopping in people in house? Oh, sorry. By the way, I'm Jamaican. <laughs> Why would a woman go shop in a people them house that she don't even really hardly know with a dotty, dotty skirt? Like, what the clot? Like, that is ridiculous. <laughs> she was totally out of order in that way. So oh my god, so you're, you're on, you're I'm on totally the, the on her side. Sucks. Absolutely. Like, yeah, she cares for her sister. Yeah, she can't ride a horse. I understand. Horses are scary and really, really stinky. So maybe I would walk too. It's like not that far, but it's raining and you show up with dirty shoes and a dirty dress and you know these people are bitches already. Don't give them ammo. Like seriously. <laughs> so it has to be said. It has so to be said. Yeah. 
Well, now we know how you feel. <laughs> anyway, Mr. Darcy and Lizzie argue a bit, and Mr. Darcy is learning some new things about himself because he's super into it. He is all about being, like, disagreed with, and he's just, like, super turned on by her utter disinterest. Classic, yes. And it's it's not even actually real disinterest because Elizabeth is disinterested because she thinks Darcy just legitimately doesn't like her because men and women are idiots and we should all just split ourselves in half like fucking earthworms instead because you know what? It'd be a lot less hassle. <laughs> be easier. Archie's nodding in agreement. You can't see that. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> He's making a splitting in half motion. So if that wasn't enough, you, you get this like weird shit where... Even if Darcy and Lizzie don't yet get that they like each other, Caroline does. And she's pretty pissed about it, and she does this, like, weirdly transparent shit, like, Hey, Lizzie, let's, like, walk back and forth across the room a bunch together in Darcy's line of sight, and maybe he'll look at me, because he won't stop fucking looking at you! You know, just for funsies. Yeah, why let's not? Just, yeah, let's take a walk across the room. Yeah. What the fuck else are we gonna do? I know, because we don't work. Nope. Not a thing. Eventually, Jane recovers, and thus ends the world's longest and most awkward sleepover. <laughs> Except maybe that sleepover RJ had as a kid. Oh, no. <laughs> what a callback. It was. That's a deep, deep callback to that time you got peed on. So, they all go home. And then Mr. Collins shows up to visit the Bennets, and he's just the worst. Mm. <laughs> That was a really great what noise. Tanto. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I th- actually, I want you to tell, I think you should be the one to tell everybody why Mr. Collins is the worst. He's just that schmuck at the party who just won't leave you alone. And, you know, you have to run to the bathroom and hide. He's that guy. <laughs> you know? And he's just so full of it. Sorry. Yeah, that's It's true. No, but he, he is that guy. He's full of it. He's, uh... So he is their cousin some yes, sort? Yes, also, by the way, oh, I feel yeah. like they're first cousins, yes? Like, yeah. how are they related? So they want to marry off, like, first cousins? It was, the, it, this was, like, fucking 1700s. I know, but cousins, like, cousins were banging cousins. But, but at least second cousins and onwards were, like, first cousins. It's, like, super close. Like, that's not... It's, oh. it's icky. So, yeah, Mr. Yeah. Collins is a, a cousin, a first cousin, probably, of the Bennets. He's, like, a, a cl- clergyman. And if one of these Bennett girls does not get married off when Mr. Bennett dies, he's the one who's going to, like, take the house. So no one's a super big fan of him, and he's also kind of a twat. There are only two things that Mr. Collins is interested in. The Lord, and therein how the Lord thinks women ought to behave, and marrying one of his oh-so-bonable cousins. He's not picky about which one, either. Mr. Bennett is appropriately skeeved by this. Like, he is like, no, you, these are my children, go away. But Mrs. Bennett is at this point so desperate to marry off some of this, like, menagerie of young women running around that she's like, eh, I'll take what I can get. Something will work. Yeah. So Mr. Collins makes it known that he's chosen Jane, and Mom Bennett's like, no, not her. Someone rich likes her. Try again. (laughs) And so he moves down the line to Lizzie. But before she can be grossed out by this, there are soldiers in town. These dashing red coats that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. And Elizabeth's younger sisters are just super about the soldiers. They, they're like little groupies. 
it's a little weird. And so they see one of them in the street, and his name is Mr. Wickham. And he's just a, a just another dashing, attractive dude crawling out of the woodwork that is the English countryside. And so he and Mr. Darcy see each other in the street, let's just like by chance, and each make like a, oh my god, it's you, face. And then just sort of wince and immediately like run the other way. And the Bennett girls, as you would imagine, have questions like, did Darcy and Wickham used to be a thing? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, that was a weird point. What? <laughs> no, tra- tragically, probably not, but that's what fan fiction's for. <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, but then Lizzie has a chance to actually talk with Wickham at a dinner party where she learns that uh, Wickham, who how has to join the army and be a soldier, was never supposed to be an icky working man, but a gentleman who never has to, you know, do anything. He'd been a part of, like, the Darcy family since he was a baby. He was Darcy adjacent. And Darcy Sr. basically promised young Wiki that he would be given some of the family estate and live a gentleman's life and all that. But after Darcy Sr. died, Darcy Jr. reneged on this agreement for some mysterious reason. And now old Wiki is poor and alone. And Elizabeth's like, wow, what a dick. And also, uh, she's kind of into Wickham now because he's handsome. And tragic. And not a dick. Yeah. Killer combination. Yep. It's the whole package. (laughs) And then there's another dance. Because that's all there ever is to do, ever. And Lizzie wants to dance with Wickham. And creepy Collins wants to dance with Lizzie. And unfortunately, Wickham isn't there, but Darcy is. Mm -hmm. And suddenly, he's not too good to dance with Lizzie. And she's so surprised that she actually, like, agrees and is like, all right. Let's dance. And they do that, like, British hate flirt thing. Where they don't actually flirt, they just sort of... Throw insults at each other? Yeah. What are you doing on the computer there? I just want to know. I'm just curious. Nothing. Nothing? Yeah. Is it porn? Oh, yeah. 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 Regency porn? No, I was about to say, is it Regency <laughs> porn? Oh, let's type that Regency oh, All the things you can do with knees, I can tell you. <laughs> Whoa. Well, the, the Pornhub got a whole thing. <laughs> are you serious? Um, no. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that's for I typed in Regency porn and I got Regency porn videos from Pornhub.com. Holy shit. Victorian oh porn videos, Pornhub.com. Let's go, people. Let's see. Oh, four Victorian age call girls seduce their king into a hot orgy. No, Lesbian Adventures, Victorian Love Letters, Episode 3. I brought this up myself. I did this. I know. I'm yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, meanwhile, back back at the party, which is not as good as this uh, Victorian orgy. In fact, it's actually gotten kind of shitty because Caroline's there now and she saw Lizzie and Darcy dancing, so she's being a bitch. Lizzie's mom isn't drunk I get, but she's, no, she's, she's flat out drunk. Yeah, she okay. She yeah, is no, drunk. She's, yeah, yeah, she's hammered and is like yelling about how Jane and Bingley are going to get married and like have a million babies and, and get all that money. Yeah, and, and and Mr. Collins is like trying to give a sermon in the corner, and then uh, Lizzie's baby sister Mary is just like singing and she's really bad at it, and it's just like, can, can we all go home now? Like Jesus, my my family, stop. <laughs> After that, the whole affair. The next day, Cousin Collins, the creepster clergyman, proposes, <laughs> proposes to Liz, and she's like, gross, no. And he's like, 
Right. No. I know exactly what you mean. You mean ask you again several more times until you say yes. And she goes, no, I mean fucking no. <laughs> and then Collins basically just kind of winks and does the finger guns and walks away. <laughs> and I'm, I'm really not exaggerating. Nope, that's how it is. Yeah. <laughs> and then the Bigleys head back to London. Because Caroline doesn't like the thought of her brother marrying Jane, because Caroline is awful. Oh, and then Collins marries Charlotte Lucas, a character I haven't bothered to mention up until now. She was there. She was there. She's, you know, the classic sidekick. She was just yeah. hanging. Yeah. And she decides to marry Mr. Collins because he's got money. And also, she's old. And this could be her last chance at a marriage. Yes, very old. 27. She's at death's door, essentially. Meg, how does this make you feel? Not great. <laughs> Are you 27? I'm 20, yeah. You're 27? I am. I'm 27. Oh my god, yes. I would be in the grave already. Dear yeah. Lord. We gotta find you a man. Gotta get on it. Yeah, I guess so. Mm-hmm. Gotta find you a rich man. So, yes. They get married, shuffle away, and that that's over with. Uh, the Bingleys are still gone. And so Jane's sad, but Elizabeth is distracted by Wickham and his presumably sexy bod, who has also now been shit-talking Darcy all over town for being a buttwad. And then some more stuff happens, and Jane goes to London to try to see Mr. B, and it doesn't work out, and Wickham starts flirting with a different, significantly wealthier girl, and Lizzie's like, eh, apparently I didn't like him that much after all anyway. I wonder why. Hmm. The mysteries of the human heart. And then everyone's hanging out at Colin, the, the Collins-Lucas household, including Darcy. And him and Lizzie hate flirt some more. And, like, I don't, I don't even have testicles and I'm getting blue balls right now. <laughs> like, they start hanging out a bit and maybe even becoming, like, kind of friends until mm-hmm. this other dude, who I also haven't mentioned, whose name is Colonel Fitzwilliam. Mm-hmm. I'm only naming him because it's, like, that's a great... That's, jeez. It is a wicked name. Yeah. That's a name, all right. He lets it slip to Elizabeth that, because um, he didn't realize that this was, like, a, a secret or a thing, that Darcy is the one who talked Bingley out of marrying Jane. And so she's pissed as fuck. And this is the perfect time for Darcy to show up and profess his love for her. And how does she, how does he, rather, profess his love to her? Like a complete freaking douchebag. <laughs> Despite your family who are that absolutely freaking ghetto and below my stature, <laughs> I love you despite my best wits and, <laughs> and intelligence. <laughs> I know this is a dumbass move. But anyways, would you marry me? Because you know you can't do any better. And that's, that's you know, very light paraphrasing. It's, yeah. it's very, yeah, it's pretty much on point. That's that's barely paraphrased. It yeah, it's it's the worst proposal in British literature, I would say. Yes. So he already has this really shitty proposal. And if that wasn't bad enough, she's like, A, fuck you. B, you broke up my sister and Bingley. And also, apparently, you fucked over this, you know, dude Wickham. So you know what? Just, like, go screw. So that happens. And the next day, he leaves a letter for Jane. That's slightly better than how he spoke to her in person. No, it's better. It is. No, it's it, good. It is. I yeah. mean, it basically says, like, hey, I'm sorry I was a dick to your sister. Like, 
I was trying to protect my friend. I thought, you know, because your mom just constantly talked about how they just wanted his money. Didn't think that Jane cared for him in the first place. Exactly. And also, just like BT dubs, I did give Wickham the money that he was promised. And then he fucking gambled it away and said he was going to become a lawyer. But he didn't. And he came back, like, to the house, broke as fuck, tried to seduce slash kidnap my 15-year-old sister. And so I was like, you know what? Fuck him. So Lizzie's like, well, this changes some things. (laughs) No shit. (laughs) She's mortified. Yeah, she's she's so... she's feeling some kind of way for a while. And then she notices that Lydia is talking an awful lot about our old pal Wiki. And while I know it's a pain to keep the Bennett sisters straight because there's like fucking 12 of them, Lydia is the one that's how old? 15. She's 15. She's the baby. Someone's got a type. Mm-hmm. So Lizzie goes on a summer trip with some relatives, because apart from just, like, constantly dancing and walking across rooms, there's really not much else to do. Except not fuck, I guess. She has an amazing quote about this. Hold on. What are um, men to mountains and stones? Essentially. So she's, like, getting away, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, fuck this. Fuck men. This is the equivalent of, like, I'm gonna go to Las Vegas or Key West and go crazy. <laughs> and I'm gonna go up in the mountains, look at some pretty scenes, you know, get out, get some air. Yes. That's the equivalent. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah, about right. Yeah. Except, no. Because she runs into Darcy anyway. Except, he's being really cool. And polite. And nice. And not a wiener. Like, he's still really socially awkward, like, as fuck, but, like, he's trying. And she can tell. And she's like, oh. 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 He takes her uncle fishing. Yes. Which, that's when you know it's true love, man. Yeah. If you're willing to, like, sweat balls beside someone on, like, a putrid lake, you It's know? true. Yeah. And he's even like, we'll use my fishing rod and tackle. And Elizabeth was like, oh, this is special. <laughs> Oh, and uh, then the Bingleys show up, and because, you know, why not? And everybody's friends again and having a good time, except for Caroline, the hell sister, who keeps trying to seduce Darcy by shit-talking Lizzie, and he's just, like, not having it. And finally, finally, you guys, someone in the story runs off to have wild and illicit sex. And it's the 15-year-old and the grown man. Yeah. <laughs> Gross. Uh, Lydia writes to her family that she has eloped with Wickham, who promises that he'll, like, totes marry her if she'll bang him, because ew, what the fuck? And just everything's bad, and Mr. Bennett leaves to, like, go try and find them and, like, punch Wickham in the dick. And, uh, they finally find the two of them, and Wickham basically holds the family's reputation hostage, saying that he'll marry Lydia and stop living in sin if they pay him a whole bunch of money. And they do. Really, the wealthier aunt and uncle. So that's that, I guess. As long as she's married, they don't really seem all that bothered. But then, Elizabeth discovers a secret. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone want to give a give a go? The secret Lydia finds out. No, the secret Elizabeth finds out. Lydia lets slip that (gasps) Darcy was at the wedding, and she's like. What, what the what? fuck was Darcy doing at your sin wedding with the man that he hates? <laughs> wow. <laughs> she writes to her aunt, and her aunt fills her in. So, Darcy found Wickham and Lydia before anyone else did, actually. And 
Wiki was totally going to abandon Lydia for Wiki. someone with. Oh, we have to stop. <laughs> you just call them on Wiki. I've been called. I've called him Wiki I know, like I just five times. That's just the cutest <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> Mr. Wiki. Mr. Wiki. He's, oh, he was going to ditch Lydia for someone with more money, and Darcy like essentially bribed him, a, a dude that he absolutely hated, with lots and lots of money to marry Lydia, a girl he thinks is an idiot. But he did it all for Elizabeth. Because romance. Well, Aww. Lizzie doesn't know that. She still is totally oblivious. She's like, he must have had some reason. This is true, yeah. She... want of, 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 of general dignity. He could never have done it for me and for my welfare. This is true. I mean, he did, but yeah. She, she's yeah. just like, they must have had some other reason. But no, it's because it's he, he loves her. Bingley and Darcy come back. Yay! <laughs> and Bingley's back to being into Jane again. Double yay! But Darcy's back to being a weird, constipated bummer again for some reason. And it's, I mean, it's because he, he's just having such a hard time with feelings. But Elizabeth don't get that. She's just like, fuck's up with him. And it's like, fuck's up with you, Lizzie. You, you've been in love with him for like a month and you don't even know it yet yourself. But anyway, Jane and Bingley get engaged and everything's really great. And then suddenly things get very weird as Collins and some other characters, who I have not bothered to mention, but they're they're there now, they start coming out of the woodwork to tell Elizabeth that they really disapprove of this idea of her and Mr. Darcy getting engaged. And she's like, what? what why would we? Why, why do you think? What, what? No, no, you can't. You can't skip over that. Oh. The thing, the thing, the, the big thing? blowout that she has with the Countess. It's like, all right, that's extreme. true. Fine. Okay. Come on, all right, Well, the Countess is one of the people I didn't bother to mention because she, okay. Mr. Collins is technically like a clergyman for this Countess woman, and that's where he's getting all the money from. And she's got like a daughter or a niece or something, and she wants her to marry Mr. Darcy. And so she shows up at Elizabeth's house going, Don't you marry Mr. Darcy? Elizabeth's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, but also fuck you. <laughs> Essentially, yes. yeah. Like, maybe I will marry him out of spite. <laughs> Their conversation goes on for, like, freaking pages. It's and true. And she was like, oh, don't you dare. You would never marry my nephew. I'm just like, well, and what What if who's stopping me? Who are you? What the <laughs> fuck? Like, he's a grown man. He can do whatever he wants. He's independent. Not, not like, that I want to marry him or anything. <laughs> anything. He's supposed to marry my daughter. Well, if he would have married your daughter, you all would have been mine already, right? <laughs> so clearly you all would have been ended up together if it was all sorted. So what What do I got to do with this? And yeah, it was. it's epic. Go read it. It's awesome. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I it's, skipped it's over it. It's the best bitch fest in like. The whole kind of just 19th century literature. It's awesome. Okay, continue. <laughs> so after that, yes. after Elizabeth has warmed to the idea of marrying Mr. Darcy out of pure spite, uh, he reappears and he's like, hey, I guess I love you and stuff. Still, I still love you. I never stopped loving you, even though I'm just a big, dumb weirdo. D- do you still hate me? And she's like... No, I I love you and stuff too now because they're both just the worst at feelings. It's so cute. It's just so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> oh my she's God. she's having an emotion. Yeah, it's Aww. just the most like just yeah. It's it's so it's just the most romantic moment. I swear. They're it's they're wonderful. they're a cute they're a cute pair of idiots. And that's where 
By the moon and the stars. <laughs> so then they're going to get married. And everyone is actually confused because they, they were like, Don't, didn't you hate each other? Okay, cool. And Mrs. Bennett now only has two single daughters to worry about. Score! Yay, we're half done. The end. What a book. That's, that's Pride and Prejudice. Yep. Bunch of rich people who don't got much better to do than dance, go on trips, and make biting remarks at each other. It's wonderful. It, it, it's fun. Those the life you can British... lead if you don't have to worry about working for your money. Pretty much. Yeah. Amazing. British people. <laughs> yeah, just British people. That's how I envision it still is today. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, see? I got a colonial here. Tell me. <laughs> Also, we, we didn't cover earlier when you broke the big news to everybody that you're Jamaican. I was going to ask this at the time. Did you ever meet John Candy? And were you on the bobsled team? Who's John Candy? Wow. No. Oh, God. That wasn't what I was thinking about at all. You're such a fucker. Your question. He's making a cool runnings reference. Oh, is that the white guy? No. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's the white guy who coaches the bobsled team in the movie. Oh, no, By the way, it is a totally dick. different experience for Jamaican watching that movie. It's really traumatizing. To see like your country like work hard and have all the talent to do well and the fucking thing breaks down. Like it's it's upsetting. Like I'm crying at that point. I'm like, oh look how moving and honorable these athletes are working towards the finish line. I'm like, fuck it, no, go for gold. <laughs> <laughs> it crashed, burn then. <laughs> Yeah. This is a good lesson. Look what look what you did. This <laughs> is a good lesson for Jane. <laughs> look at these these feelings you brought out. <laughs> poor that Monique. was all like genteel and polite, and now I'm telling you to burn my countrymen. It's not not great. Yeah. Well, what was your Jamaican question over there, Meg? Well, I was going to ask about just, uh, I mean, if we wanted to talk about, like, colonialism and post-colonialism and uh, books about genteel British people. Yeah, it's super hard reading this again, because it feels like I should not like this book. Like, why the fuck do I care about these people? And particularly when all of this wealth and, and leisureliness is probably being financed by my ancestors. Which, it's a good to her fair bit, Jane Austen does talk about in other books. I mean, like... A drop lie, like, oh, by the way, what about the slaves? What if they come to England? Are they still slaves? And yeah, but yeah. for some <laughs> reason, it just, it's still so relatable and vivid, even outside of its historical context. I think also her pragmatism and, and that this kind of like focus in creating a life for yourself isn't about like sweeping romance. It, it's also about being practical and compatibility and whether we can actually build a life together. And I think that's really relevant to, you know, a fiscally restrictive 20-something-year-old. This is true. Yes. <laughs> so that, that, that totally connects. And people tend to agree with you because Jane Austen has, her popularity just fucking keeps on they persisting. Keep on. It keeps on keeping on. The, the topic, Jane Austen, in popular culture, has its own just staggeringly massive Wikipedia page. It just goes on and on and on. You know, there were 8 billion different literary adaptations and sequels and reimaginings and, and things, and there are obviously a bunch of film adaptations of Pride and Prejudice, but uh, people probably mostly only remember the 1995 miniseries with Colin Firth and his nipples, and the 2005 Kira Knightley one with 
Squish other, face. Yeah, with squ- Squish Face Man. But I could just be saying that because those are the only two that came out while we were alive. Yeah, there were so many miniseries. Like, so many. I'm like, BBC, do you have any other books to adapt? Like, nope. seriously? <laughs> Jesus. Just gotta keep doing this one. There have been sort of more loosey-goosey adaptations, like Bridget Jones' Diary was a adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, and in fact, they cast Colin Firth in there very deliberately. It's like, it's like, eh? Eh? Kind of elbowing you in the side there, eh? (laughs) And there was also, wasn't there a wet fight scene as well? Maybe that was in a later movie. I think that might have, that might have been. But Um, they they definitely hearkened back to the wet shirt. Yes. Yes. No, I I, I have a rant I want to go on, but first I want to mention, just while we're talking about how popular Jane was, there were these women, actually they weren't all women, there were dudes there too, but it was majority women, and they were called the Janeites. And they were proto-Trekkies. They were just huge fans. And they wrote fan fiction. Like, this was, this was back in, like, the late 19th century. And they wrote, they wrote the Whoa. fan fiction. They cosplayed in Regency outfits. <laughs> Taking out their grandma's clothes. Yeah! Like, to, oh, to, to be like, let's, like, like role-play this, uh, this Jane Austen. Let's LARP some Jane Austen. <laughs> which is amazing, and I love it. But what I want to what I want to go on a whole uh, delightful tear about is pride, prejudice, and goddamn zombies. Yes, that's what I've been waiting for. <laughs> Finally, the zombies. Yeah. Here we go. Fucking court classics. So on the surface, I like a good parody. Like I'm all for taking classic literature down a peg. Obviously, it's what we what we kind of do. A here. peg leg. No, that's Moby Dick. Um, yeah, you took that down. I did. God, I hate that. But no, right Old now I am sea. yelling about Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies. That the movie or the book or the script? Everything. Let me get there. Well, the book was overall mostly positively received as a sort of delightful send-up of genre mashing and, you know, just taking the stuffiness, the perceived stuffiness out of the book. Also, it was the innocent year of 2009 and we weren't all completely fucking sick of zombies yet. It exploded in popularity. It just became like a fucking thing. It got turned into comics, a game, an interactive ebook. I don't know what that is, but it got turned into one. And even a special clothing collection at Hot Topic. Oh my god. What hasn't? (laughs) I remember the things fall apart line. (laughs) It was very yam based. Yeah, so it was like kinda orange. But the earthy colors. It was very warm. Very comfy. Yeah, it's a very flattering color palette. But then it got a movie, which was a stupid piece of garbage. And in an effort to make Lightning Strike Twice inspired a whole list of just unabashedly, abominably naked cash grabs from our buddies at Quirk Classics, like Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters, (laughs) Android Karenina, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, Dawn of the Dreadfuls, a prequel, and... The Meowmorphosis, which we've already discussed on this show, and one that wasn't even a poorly written ripoff of a classic book, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, which is admittedly not a spawn of court classics, but was written by the same dude who wrote Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies, so I'm counting it. (laughs) Like, I'm assuming it's just a matter of time until we get, like, Of Mice and Men and Mummies. That would actually be pretty interesting. War and Pizza. 
Whoa, that'd be great. (laughs) Oh, then you're going to love my third one. To kill a mockingbird, that is also a pirate ninja. (laughs) (laughs) Just just grab, well, because it's just grabbing shit from, like, the internet. Like, oh, zombies and fucking zeitgeist bullshit and smashing it into old books that were in, like, the public domain. All right. I'm done. I just, I had, I had to. I had to get no, that it's out. okay. We're here. For well, I did want to add. Oh, add. When it came to publishing, Jane Austen published Sense and Sensibility. The, she penned the novel by a lady. Oh. So she didn't put her name on it. By a lady? When Pride and Prejudice was published, it was by the author of Sense and Sensibility. Ah. She wasn't putting her name on this stuff. Just well, throwing it out there. Okay, but well, like... We've discussed this with, like, the Brontes and shit, where they just did it under, you know, like, men's names. Yeah, they did it under men's names, but she's by a lady. So, like, she wasn't, like, hiding the fact she was a woman. She just wasn't putting her name on it. Well, because maybe she wanted to be like, yo, lady wrote this. Fuck you. But then also, like, but it wasn't me. <laughs> Someone else. Uh, another, another lady. So your nephew can say 50 years later, like, oh, she didn't really care that much for writing. It's just something that she toddled off. Could you toddle off? A bit of right? entertainment. Was it her? Who know? Vocation. Schmuck. <laughs> Shut up. That's all well, I, I love. I love when you get mad. Aww. It's my favorite. RJ? What's up? Pride and Prejudice. Good or bad? De gusto. What? Do you like? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I heard something else that the build on I swear to God. Go, wait, did you say Te Gusta? Okay, that's what I thought I heard. <laughs> but then you set it up on me by not saying it again, because I was pretty sure I heard Te Gusta. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. I just don't know where the Spanish came from. I know, it's It's an English text, you're Jamaican. I, I'm neither. I my side. Uh... Menu gusta, no gusta at all. That's a that's a Moi rare. Mal. That's a rare for you. You typically wow. gusta. Uh, you typically gusta. <laughs> there are no vampires, no zombies, nothing supernatural. No Frankenstein. You read plenty of books that you liked that didn't have supernatural shit in them. Yeah, but there's a version of this book with those things. You haven't read that one. So one must choose. And so, while I'm looking at Pride and Prejudice. I know what I'm missing out on, and so I feel a wacky. I don't like these drawing room books of rich white British people in their lives. But you, but you liked The Great Gatsby, which was about rich American people in their well, the lives. Well, the keyword, American. Megan, te gusta? Te gusta, me See or no? Si, me gusta. <laughs> okay, to be fair, it's not... A strong connection that I know Monique has with it, but I like it in the kind of way where it is sort of fun to pick up and and just kind of read through and just like because I know I bitched about in The Great Gatsby, you know, why do I want to hang out with these like wealthy airheaded dick bags and stuff? These wealthy airheaded dick bags are way more fun to hang out with. They are. They're a delight. Like they are. They're just much more delightful. They're they're concerned about like the same stupid shit, but. They're at least witty. And funny. And it's, it's yeah, and it's just, it's sort of cozy. It's reassuring. It's, it it's, is reassuring yeah, in a weird it's way. It's life affirming. Yes, I like Pride and Prejudice. It, it, it has a weird sort of cozy, reassuring quality to it. And like I said, yeah, these, these are rich people I'd rather hang out with. 
They're they're fun. Monique, you're very excited. Ready pride to go. Of, pride and prejudice. Yeah, I think we... You, just, you hate it, don't you? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, you know. I think we also need to think of context, like, of how early on in the novel game this book came out. It's in. true. No- novels so, were not much of a thing. You either have the epistolary letter novels, so basically reading a bunch of people's letters. Those things aren't as as readily absorbing as Jane Austen. They're, they're fucking boring. They're boring. Robinson Crusoe, you want to oh, shoot yourself. God, that I is the that one book. book. <laughs> I was the kid in school who always did the reading. So this podcast actually, like, you know, I, I pretty much did all the reading assigned to me. But that was the one book. On principle, <laughs> I was like, fuck no. I am not reading. I really hope my professor isn't listening to this. Professor Miller, I love you. You were adorable. So you have those books, which are the more at least recognized as kind of like the birthing of the genre, the pushing it out of the canal. Gross. And in the midst of this, you have a book that is still so readable 200 years later. Like, try and find a novel around that time that is just as readable, just as funny, just as witty. You'll have a really freaking tough time. And she accomplishes this, which is a really innovative perspective. The free, indirect discourse oh we're getting okay i know we're getting we're getting into we're getting into some i know we're getting technical bear with me so you have first person where you're just having somebody yabbering on and the entire story is hi i'm lizzie bennett i live with my family there's this guy darcy he seems like a prick It, it depends on the person that could be perfectly delightful there are lots of classics that are done in that manner but if if they're a schmuck it you can't escape. You're just engulfed with that poor schmuck. And then you have the third person who is, in many respects, the godly, omniscient perspective, floating around, creeping on people, narrating the actions. Or if you're fucking Ernest Hemingway or something, you might get like third person limited where you're just sort of peering through a window at these dudes and you don't know what the hell's going on in their heads. Yeah. So, I mean, all of these have limitations, but the free and direct speech, you get the best of both worlds. You get this delightful narrative of Jane Austen, the narrator, who's just as witty as her heroine. Um, but you also get to, like, dip into the minds of various characters. You kind of know what's happening with Darcy, what creates that kind of, like, sexual tension, because you notice and you can hear him rationalize, why am I suddenly feeling this heat in my loins for Lizzie. <laughs> What's going on? Ooh, her eyes. Her eyes. Sure, Darcy. Her <laughs> eyes is what's, yeah, whatever. Her eyes are up so, here, Darcy. <laughs> so it's that beautifully dipping into the minds of others and this just creation of like this multitude of subjectivity is is what gives the genre its heft. And Jane Austen is accredited with bringing that to the English language of really um, perfecting uh, the mechanism of that. And for anyone who, who's reading a book and, and is thinking like, why is this book so immersive? Why do I feel like I'm in the drawing with, with them? You know, it, it's, it could be because of that. And that's definitely something to keep in mind is, you know, even if you're thinking like, okay, yeah, so you get descriptions of everybody and you get to go in and out of people's heads like that's just a normal thing books do books didn't do that nope she did it first yep that's why books do that yeah (laughs) 
So, you know, Auntie Jane, Mama Jane, you know, you've got a lot to be thankful to her for. Yeah. Maybe stop trying to start a fight with her 200-year-old corpse. By the way, there's a weird tradition of a lot of, like, guys, like, sending her proposals. Like, if you were only alive, I would marry you in an instant. Here's the wedding ring. Like, there are way too many, like, writers and critics. And Jane in her grave is probably thinking, like, what the fuck? Like, You're yeah. not Thomas. <laughs> Meanwhile, Art is over here going, if only you were alive, I'd try to fight you. <laughs> Take her off. Well, at least you recognize what she liked. She liked to fight her. You it's know true. what I mean? Yeah. That, that'll about do it for us, I would yes. imagine, on this episode of Ono Lit Class. If you like us, if you like listening to us prattle on about such things... Subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us some ratings and reviews, because we don't have too many of those. And it'd be nice to have some. Have some have some friends. Have some friendly voices. Leaving us friendly messages. And speaking of friendship, I want to mention our friends, In Poor Taste, a podcast that's part conversation, part sketch comedy, and completely weird and ridiculous, but in the best and funniest goddamn way. These two men might be genuinely insane, but don't take my word for it. I'm Don Wrinkle, and everybody's got a podcast. And if you're gonna listen to one, Importace is the way to go, because it's very greasy. This is Bill Lawyerson to tell you that Importace is the podcast you should listen to if you want to get sued. I'm Big Jim, here to say if you listen to Importace, huh? Guess we'll give you a Christmas handy. It's in poor taste. It's definitely not a comedy podcast. And it's definitely not educational. And it's definitely Australian. Stop Stop asking. asking. Listen to In Poor Taste on the Podsberg Network. www.podsberg.com slash in poor taste for all of your edutainmentional podcast needs. If you guys sit there, we'll put. Our next episode will be out on August 31st. You can listen to us everywhere, anywhere that you enjoy listening to podcasts. I mean that both in terms of on apps and, you know, in your bathroom, in your car, in a drawing room while pissing into a bucket. <laughs> but always at onolitclass.com. Thanks as always to Best Day for our intro theme song. I'm Megan. Yo soy RJ. And Monique. We love you. Bye. We need some uh, some new things to fall into the public domain. Like Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> yeah. Fifty Shades of Grey. And vampires. Uh, See, we're going to bring it back. Oh, yeah, we're, we're going to go full circle. <laughs> <laughs> but Christian Grey's a vampire this time. Wait. What? <laughs> yes. <laughs>